So we've been in this series talking about uh, our, our life mission, and we just have a couple of more weeks this week and next week, and uh, then we'll have Easter, our, our Easter service the week following that. And, and this life mission is, is uh, some call it evangelism or, or witnessing or the Great Commission, discipleship, sharing your faith. Listen what, uh, what Romans chapter 3 says. It says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God with undeserved kindness declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin, and people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. You see how that started? For everyone has, has sinned, for everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Yet God's plan, God's mission, even from the very beginning, was to draw all humanity to himself. And his plan to do this is his son, Jesus Christ. And this mission, this purpose, this, this heartbeat of God has now become our mission, our life mission. The life mission of everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ is to grow followers of Jesus Christ, to make disciples. And as we've been digging deeper and deeper into how do we do this and what is this like, and, and we have people coming, from all the, coming to this idea from all these different angles and backgrounds, one of the things we've done is try to create a space for conversation. And so today we're going to continue that. And I'm going to give you five minutes. I'm going to set five minutes on my phone. I'm going to put a question on the screen related to discipleship, related to our life mission. And uh, I'm just going to give you five minutes. And I want you to actually physically turn around. I know you don't like the people next to you, but just turn around, talk to, just pretend, you know, um, talk to the people around you about uh, this question. Here it is right here. How is the Holy Spirit helping you fulfill your life mission? How is the Holy, Holy Spirit helping you uh, make disciples? You got it? You ready for this? Everyone know what you're supposed to do? I don't care if you like it or not. I just said, do you know what you're supposed to do? All right, I'm setting my phone. You got five minutes. Turn and talk to those around you. All right, how'd you do? Is there anyone made to feel uncomfortable by this question? <laughs> Did anyone feel like they had a really clear, you know, really just, just clear grasp uh, of the Holy Spirit and how it's working and how it's moving in our world today? Um, this is my task today, is to talk a little bit about uh, this mysterious thing that we believe in, but but don't have any control of and, and, and don't, don't fully comprehend. If I asked most Christians, does the Holy Spirit work, you would, you would probably say yes. And if I asked, well, how, you would say, I don't know, <laughs> right? Last week, we talked about uh, the idea of presence. You know, this, this, there's, there's power in presence. There's power in just physically being in proximity to other people, but, but then choosing to be with others in a way that's trustworthy and altruistic and, and, and um, 
sharing, you know, just choosing to walk with someone else through their life. And we looked at this example from Jesus of just choosing to physically be present with people. Like the first gift he offered his disciples was his physical presence. He was present with, the, with sick and with sinners. And then he uses this language and says, remember, I am also present with you and makes this promise of of being with us always this idea that that we're never alone and and this week i want to talk about uh, an, another presence in john chapter 20 uh, i think we have the scripture jesus is speaking and it says that sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors this is right after the resurrection because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, and suddenly Jesus was present among them, right? Suddenly he shows up. He intrudes into their life, into their meal, into, their, in, into whatever was happening. And he says, peace be with you. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds on his hands and on his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And then look what it says next. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Sounds like a mission, right? As the Father has sent me, so now that mission that he gave me, I'm passing on. I'm handing it off. Now I am sending you. And then look what it says in verse 22. It says, then he breathed on them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. The word for spirit or translated Holy Spirit is this word pneuma. And it, and it means, uh, maybe we've talked about this before. Uh, spirit is, is, it also means wind. It, it, it also means breath. And literally this says that Jesus breathed on him, on them, his holy breath. That's what happened. But it is also this pneuma that is the creative force. Remember in Genesis, what is the creative force that creates everything? It's not God's hands, but his breath, right, that comes out in his speech. And so somehow Jesus transfers from him uh, into them this breath. And this phrase, breathed on them, it's the only place in Scripture this, this appears. And this word breathed is... Uh, in Greek, it's emphuseo. Um, in the, 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 it's really two words together, but it means to, to blow into, to, to breathe into. Uh, and in fact, uh, I, I've got a perfect example of this. I've, I've got some students in here that, that are going to help demonstrate this. So you guys, are, are y'all ready? Y'all, y'all know what you're supposed to do? I think it's going to happen. Go ahead. Yeah, we're ready. All right, you see what they're doing around you if, you, if you see them sitting around you here? Some of them, they've forgotten what they're supposed to do already. All right, there we go. So, literally, like, like air into a balloon, Jesus says to his, it, Jesus inflates his followers with this kind of holy breath, this holy wind. While you guys are still working on that, way to be prepared, Madeline. No one's looking at you at all right now. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, the disciples are with Jesus, and right before Jesus ascends he, into heaven, he tells his disciples, 
Look, you're going to be my witnesses in, in uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. But before you go and do that, you're going to receive this gift of wind, this gift of breath. And in the very next chapter, in Acts chapter 2, look what happens. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, On the day of Pentecost, all of the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty, what's the word? Wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Go on to that next verse. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. This tongues of fire is this kind of, um, this image of um, unstoppable, untamed speech. Like what can stop a flaming tongue from speaking? nothing. It's this image of, uh, of this voice that, that's going to come out, and it's this powerful voice, and everyone there is filled with this kind of, this kind of wind as the Holy Spirit gave, this, gave them this ability, and they begin to speak in all different languages. Well, when this happens, apparently it wasn't a quiet thing, but but it was, it was an obvious thing that, that, that happened in the community. And when people hear or, or see fire and hear wind, they come running from all corners of the town with buckets of sand or water ready to put this thing out. And when they get there, they see a, a group of believers speaking in different languages. And all of the different ethnicities begin to understand and hear their own speech and hear their own tongues. And some people say, no, these guys, they've just had way too much wine. It's been happy hour. And it's at this point that, that Peter steps forward and delivers his Braveheart speech. He says things like, let everyone know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive wind yourself. And that day, more than 3,000 people were baptized and became inflated with the holy wind of God. And the evidence of this inflated life was they devoted themselves to the disciples' teachings, to prayer, to breaking bread, to incredible acts of, of charity. They shared everything they had with each other. And it says the Lord added to their number daily. And out of this, the church as we know it was born. And what was it exactly that gave birth to the church? I bet it was their website. Um, I, or I bet they had this awesome building that had the perfect light set up and, and sound set up. Um, you know, or, or I, I bet what really gave birth to this church was the, the awesome preaching of Peter. I mean, that was a good, that was a good teaching right there. Or, or maybe they, they had a worship leader that, that was really just incredible on the tambourine. Like, like you've never worshipped like this before. Isn't that how we think sometimes? Like what makes a good church? Do you know churches that think this way? Have we ever thought like this? 
the reality of that kind of church is, teens, why don't, why don't you show them what that kind of church is like? Exactly. Perfect. Perfect. I can think of no better metaphor than that. Um, that kind of church is deflated, right? William Willimon, the, the great Methodist pastor, said that no sociologically derived programs for church growth, no theories of effective communication techniques for church building can account for what is happening in Acts. 2,000 years ago, the church that you and I claim to be a part of was born out of one thing, one essential ingredient without which none, uh, nothing else matters. Yet it is that ingredient that our church, that the North American church, most consistently forgets, ignores, or avoids. Am I right? In this Life on Mission series, we've been looking at Tim Harlow's book and Related to this one ingredient, he reminds us to consider the difference between motorboats and sailboats. He says, in a motorboat, I'm in control. I, I, I start the engine, control the speed, go wherever I want. I'm in control. Sailing is different. He says, when I'm sailing, I, I'm not passive. I, I have a role to play. I hoist the sails. I steer with the rudders. But I'm utterly dependent on one thing, one in, essential ingredient, pneuma, breath wind, spirit. And there's no room for believing I'm, I'm in control because the wind doesn't blow, I'm dead in the water like this picture. But when the wind does blow, on the other hand, amazing things can happen. A little deeper into Acts. In Acts chapter 10, there's this other story uh, uh, that comes from Peter Peter is, uh, is hungry one day, and, and out of hunger, he goes up onto a roof. And uh, he's, while, while lunch is being prepared, he goes onto a roof to, of the house to pray. And we'll get to this passage in just a second. And while he's praying, uh, Scripture says that he falls into a, a trance, which is a, a distraction of amazement, uh, a distraction of astonishment. And at that point, the sky opens, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. And in the sheep is not Cupid or, or little angels or care bears or I don't know, but a whole zoo of animals, specifically reptiles and birds. And the voice says from heaven, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, before we get to Peter's reaction, what would your reaction be? how good are you at trying new things? How good are you at trying new food or, or, or foreign food? Or, or um, I, I love this example, like the last time you went to the Nashville Zoo and you, you walk around the corner and you pass the animals and you go into that special house, that, that reptile house, when was the last time you walked into the reptile house and, and looked around at, at, the, at the toads and at the snakes, and at the lizards, and thought, man, I am so hungry. That looks awesome. <laughs> Give me some barbecue sauce, fry that puppy up. I mean, we're in the South. 
We'll eat anything. But I mean, when was the last time you looked at looked at these kind of things and thought, "Hmm, that looks really great." It made me think of that scene of uh, so I love Indiana Jones. All right, so there's this Indiana Jones movie where uh, I don't even remember. He's in India and he's sitting at this big table. You guys remember the scene I'm talking about? And so they're at this scene with all these real, real foreign, weird people, and they're in this really weird place. And um, they bring out these these monkey heads, and they pop the skulls off, and they eat frozen monkey brains with a spoon, and it's disgusting. And um, they bring out this big python that's like been baked, and they slice this snake open, and baby pythons spill out onto the table, and people start snatching them up and eating them. And like the, the lead actress, I don't even know what her name is, she just like faints back in her chair, like right that moment. Like when this sheet is lowered down from heaven, that's what Peter was feeling, right? That's exactly what he was thinking. And Peter replies, no way, no way. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice from heaven says, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Still, Peter responds like, uh, like if I put sushi in front of you right now, that's exactly how Peter responds. Or uh, when we put vegetables in front of my two-year-old, he responds like this. That nose in the air kind of response. You know what I'm talking about? Like, uh-uh, not me. You have the wrong guy. And this succulent, appetizing array of live animals is offered up, not once, not twice, but three times. And each time, Peter turns his nose up, right? And, and you're like him. Like, oh, look, I don't care how many times you offer it. I ain't eating it. I'm not going to. And it says, while uh, Peter is trying to make sense of this, there's a knock on the door. Look what it says. And meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the holy wind said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, I have sent them. And Peter, just anxious to get away from this table, is willing to go with anyone at this point. And he takes off, and he goes with them. And they take Peter to the home of a man named Cornelius, who's a Roman officer, a Gentile, and an outsider. And in verse 28, Peter says, I think we have it, Peter told them, you know, it is against our laws for a man like me to enter a Gentile home like yours. It's, it's against our laws for me to even associate with you. But God has showed me that in this great vision of, of animals that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. And Peter shares with them the good news of Jesus Christ. He preaches Jesus to Cornelius and, and to Cornelius' whole family. But that's really not the amazing thing. What's amazing is what happens in verse 44. Scripture says that even as Peter was saying these things, the holy wind fell upon all who were listening to the message. The holy wind inflated those who were there. And they began to speak 
in tongues, praising God. You remember that scene from Acts chapter 2, right? This time there's no flaming tongues, but that scene happens again, once again, this wind of God, this breath of God inflates this house, inflates these people. The same thing that happened at Pentecost happens over again uh, with a group of people who like unclean animals, everyone had turned their nose up to. And even more convicting, it's just, uh, it, what's convicting about this is that they receive the Holy Spirit before they're baptized. Do you realize that? Like it's so powerful, like it's moving so incredibly strong. It, it's so undeniable that, that they haven't even been baptized yet. In verse 47, look what it says. And, and Peter says, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have already received the holy wind? Like they're... They've already got this. Who can object to them being included now? This, this cat is out of the bag. And Willeman, the great Methodist pastor, says, repeatedly, Acts goes to great lengths to assure us that if the disciple of Jesus is out on the boundaries Delivering the good news to someone strange, it is not due to his own inclinations. Would you agree with that? Peter was not there due to his own inclinations. But rather the prodding of the holy wind. Your abilities to successfully fulfill, to live out God's life, mission for you is not dependent upon your knowledge of scripture your ability to live out god's mission is is not dependent upon a perfect church attendance your ability to live out god's life mission has nothing to do with being eloquent of speech or your ability to live a perfectly sinless life do you see that Peter was successful because eventually the prodding of the Spirit got through to him. Peter was successful because he eventually, through the power of the Holy Spirit, raised his sails and allowed God's holy wind to take him places that his own inclinations wouldn't have taken him. Tim Harlow says this wind, it's, it's free and formidable, way beyond our control. We can't control or manufacture it. It's not about us coming up with a, with a program with predictable results we control. Our job is to discern where the wind of the Spirit is blowing, grab the rope, and hoist the sail. A disciple is a holy wind catcher. You are a holy wind catcher. I want to invite the worship team back up. And as they're coming up, I just want to share a couple of thoughts. Like a two-year-old refusing to eat your vegetables, have you turned your nose up to our Life on Mission series?
Have you turned your nose up when uh, our, our first hospitality challenge was to invite someone else into your home, to invite someone else into your life, to invite somebody else into your space? When, when that invitation, when you were hit with that invitation, did you accept it or did you just do one of these things? When we challenged you last week to, to provide a trustworthy presence with, to, to someone around you, did you receive that? Did you, did you feel that urge, that nudge, or did you turn your nose up? Did you, have you turned your nose up to, the, to this, this, this idea of simply inviting someone else to Easter, of not coming to Easter alone? Have you turned your nose up to God's mission for you? Have you turned your nose up to the prodding of the holy wind of God? Have you been trying to live a Christian life without that one essential ingredient? Sometimes Christians come to me and say, you know, my faith, it's just so, it's just so stagnant and it, it's just stale. It's like, like calm water. And what I'm thinking is there's something missing are you living a deflated windless life there's a couple of things I'm certain of I am certain that that spirit that landed on those men and women in all throughout Acts, uh, that, that, that same spirit that landed on the believers at Pentecost, that, that same spirit that, that pushed Peter off, the, off his roof and out of his house and into an uncomfortable situation, that same spirit that filled Cornelius and his family, a group of outsiders, that same spirit is in you. Amen? Amen? And I'm convinced, too, that that spirit has one and only purpose. It hasn't changed from, from the, that day to, to this. And that purpose is to poke, is to prod, is to kick, is to nudge, is to urge you into fulfilling your life mission. God's holy wind, God's holy spirit has one purpose, and that is to draw all humanity to God. And its purpose is to push you into that mission, is to encourage you, to challenge you, to nudge you, to prod you, to make disciples, to draw those who are far from God and bring them near. We must become people of holy wind again. People that, that, that trust God, that trust His Spirit, that trust the direction of the wind to take us into uncomfortable. There's nothing about life on mission that is comfortable. But we must trust in God's leading in His Spirit to lead us into uncomfortable places, into uncomfortable conversations, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Right now, this very moment, I believe that holy wind is prodding you. If you pay attention, you'll see it. 
I believe right now in churches, not just our church, but in churches all across the world, God's Spirit is poking and prodding everyone who claims to be a follower of Christ saying, go and share, go and begin a conversation with your friends or neighbors, go and serve. Let's go. I'll go with you. Let's do it together. I believe that God's Spirit is prodding us as a church, even right now. And if you pay attention, I know you've probably been ignoring it for a long time. It's been happening so long, you probably even feel numb to it at some level. But if you pay attention, if you really pay attention to what's happening, if you somehow can have eyes to see what God's Spirit is doing in you, you will see a spirit that is poking and prodding and challenging you to go and live a life on mission, to go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And if there's one, one mission, one commission to you this day, this day it's don't ignore it anymore today what would it be like for you to raise your sails again what would it feel like for you to 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 open yourself to truly let god lead you that's what will establish this church here in franklin do you believe that and so i challenge you this day to allow God's wind to guide you again. It is not too late to live in the wind. So in just a moment, we're going to sing a song and invite you to, uh, to respond. And I invite all of you to respond. Um, even as we stand and sing, I'll move to the back. If there's a way I can pray for you or encourage you, I want to do that. But if Maybe you've been living in this kind of sheltered life or in uh, calm waters and are ready to get in the wind. Man, we want to help you and encourage, encourage you. Maybe you feel that wind this morning calling you, challenging you, prodding you because it's time for you to accept Christ. It's time for you. you you've been denying it. You've been putting it off. You've been holding it off long enough. Maybe this moment, this day is God's Spirit is prodding you to get baptized. And we're here for that. So why don't you stand? And as we sing, if God's put it on your heart, if that poking or prodding, you just can't take it anymore. I'll move to the back and I'll receive you there. Sing with us.